Hi, David. Serge, hello. So, you have been meditating for a long time. Um, yes, I ran into Buddhist meditation when I was 25 years old. And now I'm close to 70, so it has been a long time. <laughs> and um, And you have actually evolved in your practice and um, enriched meditation per se with something else called focusing? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. The um, focusing I only encountered quite a bit later um, in the 1990s. Um, and it gave me a, a kind of missing piece. Meditation is, I mean, there's... A, a huge amount one could say about meditation, but uh, it's based on the practice of mindfulness and mindful awareness. And what my teacher, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, called making friends with yourself. And I love that way of defining meditation. It's making friends with really what goes on inside you and in your discursive mind and your emotional life, uh, but really paying attention to it, uh, and at the same time not getting carried away by it. Uh, so the focusing, which is the work that was developed by Eugene Gentlin, so it comes out of the Western tradition, uh, was a way that I could go deeper in terms of experiencing my feelings. Uh, and I'm a person who tends to be uh, a bit distant from feeling. You know, some, some people have too much emotion happening, some people um, not quite enough. Uh, and so for me, the focusing was very helpful because it, it builds on the basic attitude and practice of mindful awareness, but it then gives specific tools for actually inviting a deeper knowing to show up. Yeah, yeah. So that sense of, on the one hand, you know, making friends with yourself, uh, that uh, practice of paying attention inside, and then uh, making room for the emotional component. Yes. Yes, and focusing is very applicable to one's everyday life, uh, one's uh, situations. Uh, whether they be personal or relationship or work-related. Um, so it really forms a bridge from uh, what we might call a pure meditation practice to living your life in the world. Um, and it's a contemplative bridge. They're both contemplative practices, and that's what uh, I value so much about it, uh, contemplative means going deep, going beyond what you already know. It's not, not just a formula. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so focusing shares that with meditation. Yeah, yeah. So not just scratching the surface, not just a formula, but be willing, be ready for the possibility of being surprised by what comes up. Yes, absolutely. Um, and um, in generally in meditation, um, you're noticing anything that comes up, but then you let it go and you come back to usually it's the breathing, uh, or it could be the body, 
or whatever it might be. Whereas in focusing, you choose to stay with a certain content, something that has come up for you, and it may be a, a situation that you're kind of struggling with or chewing on, but it may also just be a, a body sense, a body feel that you get when you bring your awareness inside. And this is what Eugene Gentleman called the felt sense. Yeah, yeah. So instead of simply observing and letting go of what you notice, you are actually focusing on something, and that, that, that felt sense. Uh, yes. The word focusing is a bit misleading, <laughs> um, because usually we think of focusing as, you know, focus, pay attention. Um, and in the practice called focusing, it's more about really relaxing, opening uh, your intention, and having a quality of of real friendliness and curiosity toward your own experience and allowing something to show up. So in a funny way, it's unfocusing. It starts with an unfocusing, mm -hmm. but then when something shows up and these felt senses in the body tend to be very uh, unclear at first. Um, they're They're kind of murky or vague, and that's why we, most of the time we don't even notice them. Um, but if we bring this special quality of attention, uh, then they can come into focus. And so that's a, a better way of understanding the word focusing. It's allowing um, these aspects of ourselves that are kind of below the radar, that are vague, that are fuzzy, to come into greater focus. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that allowing, that possibility of focus, and in order to do that, uh, learning to tolerate, to make friends with the uncertainty, that uh, moment, the ill-defined moment of the unfocused part. Uh, yes, that's right. You have to make friends with a willingness to just be there for whatever comes up. And beyond that, you have to be able to be friendly when things that are difficult or upsetting, uh, painful, show up. Um, so it is a, a way of working with exactly the kinds of situations or emotions that we tend to avoid mm -hmm. um, because they are difficult in some way. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um Having been very deeply involved in both practices, you have developed this approach that is called mindful focusing. That's right, yes. So I tried to bring the two together. Uh, and it started really because I found focusing so valuable and I wanted to make it available to my many friends in the Buddhist community, in the meditation world. And so I started... Uh, teaching it about 15 years ago. Uh, and then just in the last three years when I retired from uh, my organizational work, I had time to write a book. And so that book has just been published, and it's called Your Body Knows the Answer, Using Your Felt Sense to Solve Problems, Effect Change, and Liberate Creativity. 
So, so certainly something that would be very different from one what one expects from mindfulness practices, from meditation, because there is something that is related to achieving results in the real world. Um, and that's also, in a way, a little different from what many people practice focusing for, which is not to to get in touch with inner inner uh, life, feelings, situations. So how do you actually, from that very contemplative approach, come to action in the world? Um, right. Well, we we have to, unless we're renunciate monks and nuns, and probably even in that case. But um, as long as we're living in the world, um, we're inevitably going to be in action, have activity in our lives, and in our contemporary culture, uh, most of us, too many of us, have far too much activity in our lives. Um, so the in focusing you're really getting in touch with your deeper truth your deeper values um, you're, and it is similar to meditation in this way um, you're learning what, which impulses to action are kind of short term and maybe um, uh, somewhat selfishly motivated but not really skillful in the long term or not really corresponding to your deeper values. So I think what happens is you find that, and then you can actually ask into the felt sense, so what would be a good next step in this situation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. An, an action, uh, mm-hmm. an action step. And then freshly, and often spontaneously, it gives you a, a step, a, a, an action you can take that is more skillful and in the long run more effective. Yeah, yeah. What I really appreciate about your book is that throughout you give very concrete examples of this process so that um, it is not something that is just, uh, you know, some rules, but you show how it can manifest in different ways. Yes, I tried to draw on my own experience, sometimes other people's experience, um, to provide actual examples, um, and then to put that together with very clear instructions, exercises that people can use um, to um, to cultivate the practice, to learn the practice mm-hmm. um, on their own. And my my hope was generally focusing is not easy to learn just from a book, uh, and that was true even of Eugene Gendlin's classic book called Focusing. I can't tell you how many people I run into and we get into a conversation and I mention Focusing and they say, oh yeah, I have that book. I got that book a long time ago. I think I still have it. And um, But they weren't able to really get it, to make the connection. Um, so generally people go to training programs of which there are many and there are many wonderful teachers. However, my intention in doing this book was to try to make a gateway, to make it available to a much larger audience. Mm-hmm. And because in my own life, I, I had some really important 
opening kind of experiences just from reading books. You know, I know that at least for some people, that's possible. And so I was trying to keep it very simple um, and as much as possible allow a person working on their own to develop the practice. You know, then my hope is, of course, they would also take advantage of other resources, classes, and workshops, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, as we're talking, I'm just wondering if it might be possible to talk about one such examples. Um, and um, and the one I'm thinking about, but, you know, feel free to uh, to change anything that comes to mind, but you're, you're describing uh, a moment which is not an earth-shattering moment. It's simply you're working at your desk, uh, in, and then your dog Luna is starting to bark because somebody is depositing, and and the way you're describing this, and then uh, you know, so I I thought it might be a very nice way to to comment, uh, to hear that as a as a very vivid ex, ex, ex description of of the process. Uh, all right, sure. So I'll I'll do it from memory uh, okay. rather than going back to the book, but it it. Um, came about because it actually at that point in my writing this incident happened where the dog suddenly started barking very loudly uh, because a delivery man had left a box on the front porch and um, and because I was really concentrating on my work I really uh, got upset um, and you know and shouted at her um, so I want to just stop and comment here again. So this is a very such a typical situation. It's everyday life. All of us have had it countless times, and in a way, that's the kind of stuff that we simply dismiss as "What else could I do?" We're an automatic pilot at that moment. Yes. Uh, and what's happening right there is because of your training in both practices. There's a moment of not necessarily just going into the default mode, but there is this branching point. Yes. I mean, in, in this case, I have to confess that I did go into the default <laughs> mode first. But then once I had done that, I said, well, wait a second. Let's spend some time with this. First of all, the dog is just doing its duty by barking when somebody comes onto the porch of the house. And so what am I so upset about? And it... Um, and so I had to to work with this the feeling of being interrupted, um, and that's actually been an issue for me my, my whole life. I'm very sensitive to interruptions. Um, but as I spent time with that, you know, what's so difficult about being interrupted? What came was that it's really interrupting my um, kind of my flow of thought, especially if I'm writing. And I have this fear that um, once that's interrupted, I won't be able to get it back, I, or at least I, I won't be able to go where I was going mm -hmm. because it's been interrupted. Um, and But that then even went deeper into memories of times in my childhood when I had been lost um, and lost in the woods um, and how frightening that was. Mm-hmm. And so some of the almost quality of panic at being interrupted, I was able to relate with that earlier childhood experience. So, again, um, as you don't take it for granted that it's okay and it's just normal, uh, already a lot of stuff starts to happen, including 
putting it in the context of, you know, I tend to have this problem about being interrupted. I don't like that. It's That's not right. just in this specific situation. That's right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so in a way, just as you're talking and describing it, I have a sense of, in a way, going into deeper levels. It's no longer just considering it, just taking it for granted, but say, oh, there is the context of this. And then you go into, you know, and you stay with it. You're not, you know, grasping. You're not uh, tightly uh, trying to, to hold on to any single idea that you have. Uh, you're not trying to be logical about it. You're just making space. And as you are making space, more stuff comes up. So I almost have this visual of, um, you know, a porous container or a container that has a large opening. And by staying at large, you know, more stuff can come in. Yes. And then what comes in is other moments where you've been interrupted, uh, and the sense, you know, that, that, that the, the sense of what it's like. And then as you stay with it, and probably the, the, the sensation, that felt sense of being interrupted, and that twinge of fear brings back the moment of being lost. Um, yes. and, and so, uh, again, it's not an intellectual process that you're describing, but something where by being open, you're immersed in uh, that experience, and it builds into understanding it more from inside. Uh, yes, that's that's very well said. And the a lot of our experience is not really available to our everyday consciousness, um, but it's somehow lodged in our body. Um, but through becoming conscious of it. So, for example, when I became conscious of remembering these uh, episodes of being lost and the fear that I felt, you know, that it kind of allows the the fear which has been stuck in my body in a certain way and which I've been ignorant of, it allows it to kind of wake up and and have some fresh energy and so that it's not just stuck anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's one of the beautiful things about focusing. It really allows us to find fresh energy, fresh insight. Yeah. And so uh, that's a, something that could seem paradoxical to people in ordinary life. We would consider that being in touch with fear is counterproductive. And, uh, you know, focus on the goal, do what you need to say. And, and here uh, you say, oh, wow. I'm getting in touch with the fear, and it's just a, not, a li- not just a little fear, but it's like veritable panic, and it's deep. And there is something productive about it, because then it becomes unstuck instead of blocking you. Yes, absolutely. And uh, fear is fear can be one's greatest ally if you learn to make friends with it, and not to uh, as as. Uh, FDR, um, President Roosevelt said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. (laughs) So it's kind of like that. Um, And at the same time, one of the things that I value very much about focusing, which is different from some approaches of in in psychology, psychotherapy, is that the the focuser is always in control of his or, or her own process. And you go only as far as feels safe. You know, and the reason we avoid fear is it can go into panic and it can be really very painful. Um, but focusing allows us to kind of temper or 
titrate the experience mm-hmm. um, so that it, it doesn't overwhelm us. Yeah. And yet we're enough in touch with it that we can get the fresh information. What's that really about? And so, again, in this beautiful example with your dog, uh, you got in touch with the fear and the depth of it, but you didn't stop there. So what then happened? Um, well, I went back to my writing in that case, and I, uh, well, I was, I think I, I went right into describing that episode. You know, so then I was happy because, oh, what a wonderful example. <laughs> and, um, but it also reaffirmed what I, you know, what I already knew at some level, which is interruptions are not disastrous. You just come back freshly to the topic and, um, you know, so what if it goes down a slightly different path than it did? Uh, chances are it'll be even better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in a way, there was a break in uh, the logic, that in the break in the programming, that, uh, you know, the default mode that if you touch on something that brings fear, then it goes into panic and nothing good can come out of it. Um, And here you touched on the fear, you touched on the depth of the panic, and uh, it connected to the actually reality that it's okay. Uh, Yes. And it, it was, uh, so let me say this also, because this problem with being interrupted is something that I've, uh, I've lived with all my life and I've worked with, and so it's, it's gotten uh, much less uh, problematic for me. Um, but this was one incident, in, in, um, one time when by really getting in touch with it and perhaps getting in touch with it at a different level or a different way, it allows uh, a release of the fixed pattern of reacting to interruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in a, in a way, it's just a small thing that happened. But change, real change, usually is made up of many small steps, many small changes. Yes. Yes, so it's, uh, it's, it's, we, we create the pattern, or the pattern gets created as we, we walk on that path more often. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something else that I liked about that example is you were describing that, um, at that moment, um, you know, what came up for you is not just the knee-jerk reaction of yelling at the dog, but that you could do different things. Mm-hmm. You know, you could uh, open the door, show the package, whatever. And so, um, in a way, what comes up for me is really that sense of it's a very simple, down-to-earth example of beginner's mind. Uh, instead of just going into the knee-jerk reaction, as you go to the reset, then suddenly that same image of the opening you know, an opening to experience, uh, you know, is a very beautiful image of opening to new ideas. Yes. And to creativity in life and everything else. Yes, and, and realizing that there are more choices available than you, when you are on, on an automatic, you know, you thought there was just one way to do it. Um, but there's always more possibilities. Um, and that's... Uh, 
That's also, this somewhat goes to Eugene Gentleman's philosophy as well as Buddhist philosophy, um, that there uh, are an infinite number of possible things that could happen. Um, and um, by interrupting the habitual flow or the reactive uh, behavior, um, then it opens up a space in which uh, something novel, fresh, creative can show up. Um, and this is a good place to say it's not just about problems, it's also about creative process. Uh, it's extremely beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we kind of come back to that notion of using this process, this approach, um, as a way to deal with life situation, work situation. Uh, it's not just an, a, a process that's for observing inner life, but it's something that helps uh, decision-making, for instance. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to have an action step um, come out of every session of focusing because there is important inner work, but it's really about um, what Gentlin calls living your life forward uh, or life forward direction, that um, fresh possibilities arise and your body at a deep level, at a preconceptual level, is able to grow uh, and expand and find fresh direction. It's not not trapped, as we tend to be so often, trapped by the um, this whole encyclopedia of uh, concepts that we've developed um, through our whole life up to now, and our education, and what other people think, and our culture, and, and so on. And, you know, and those things are not all bad, um, but they can become a prison um, if there's no fresh air coming in. Yeah, yeah. So that sounds like a very beautiful way to to present this. It's, uh, you know, it's not about throwing away all of that conceptual apparatus, no. but it's introducing fresh air and energy into it. Yes. Uh, yes, and and one even finds fresh concepts. Um, so that after a session of focusing. Um, you're able to articulate, you're able to put into words something that you weren't able to when you began. So it has actually moved from the preconceptual level um, to the conceptual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, as we're coming to the end of this, is there something you would want to add to our conversation? Um, I think that... Uh, Focusing has been around now for 40, 50 years, um, and it's practiced all over the world. And at the same time, it's not as well known as it really ought to be because it's such a powerful tool. Um, but I think um, in part because of the success of the mindfulness movement that more and more people um, realize the value of contemplative practice. And so I think it's a moment in our history, in our culture, when focusing can become much more widespread and can in fact become a skill like reading and writing, a basic 
a kind of literacy. Mm-hmm. It's a felt sense literacy. And, uh, you know, there's ways of working with children. Um, there's ways of applying it in many specific areas in education or healthcare. Or, um, I talk about a few of those in the book. So I'm very excited about the, the future of focusing, and I hope I've been able to make a small contribution to it. Great. Thanks, David. This is part of the Active Pause podcast at activepause.com.